Metal Gear first released on July 13, 1987 for the MSX2 computer system. It was the first game to be fully developed by Hideo Kojima and would go on to spawn numerous sequels over the next 25 years. However, we're not here to talk about the story of the game. On this podcast, we're here to talk about the story in the game. Two hundred kilometers north of the region of Galsberg, South Africa, lay the Fortress of Outer Heaven, a fortified state that had been founded by a legendary mercenary in the late 1980s. In 1995, the Western world had received intelligence that warned of a weapon of mass destruction that was supposedly being constructed deep within the fortress. High-tech Special Forces Unit Foxhound, commanded by the legendary soldier Big Boss, sent their best agent, Gray Fox, to infiltrate the stronghold. However, days later, contact with Gray Fox was lost, his final transmission consisting only of two words, Metal Gear. With the goal of rescuing Gray Fox and uncovering the meaning of the cryptic message, rookie operative Solid Snake is sent into outer heaven alone. Hey everyone, welcome to episode one of Metal Gear Salad. With me as always, Josh. Hello. How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And today we're going to be covering the story of the original Metal Gear for the MSX computer system. Now, there was, of course, a port to the NES, which made some slight changes. We're going to stick with the canon official Kojima written games for this podcast, just as a quick reminder. And we're going to start talking about what's going on in the events of Metal Gear 1. So, Josh, as you saw in the intro there during my little my little uh, pregame warm-up to the plot of Metal Gear, it actually doesn't start with Solid Snake, which is a little interesting, right? Because you have Big Boss, who is the leader of Foxhound, sends their best agent, Gray Fox, to infiltrate the stronghold. A few days later, he fails, and then they send in their least agent, <laughs> Solid Snake, into our. That's heaven. interesting, Greg. I wonder if there's uh, some kind of significance to sending in the rookie on such an important mission. <laughs> that is a bold strategy. You know, you send in your best guy, and if he doesn't do it, well, what else do you do? You send in your worst guy, of course. Uh, that's, you know, usually that's that's what I would do if I was, you know, managing somebody. If like, you, like if let's, you... let's say I'm in a car dealership, Greg. And I'm trying to sell this car, so I send out my best salesman. And he's like, nope, I couldn't do it. I'm like, all right, new guy. You just started today. Let's get you out there. Sell this car. <laughs> I mean, if you were the greatest soldier ever, you'd probably make that decision, I think, to send in your worst guy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, of course, we jest because we all know as you get through the story, and, and this is something that we'll touch upon, not everything during the events of this game will be chronological because part of the genius of the Metal Gear story is that there's a lot of twists and turns. There's a lot of plot twists and stuff. So a lot of times you're going to hear from us in a more general sense of what happened. And we're going to kind of reveal what happens even earlier than it happens in the game, because well, sometimes it's just how it goes. So your rookie soldier, solid snake, a little bit of history about solid snake. His real name's David, which you learn, I believe in Metal Gear solid is where you learn that one. I believe, um, you know, it's funny, you can't talk much about Snake without revealing all of the history of him throughout all the other games. But all you have to know is that he grew up in foster homes. As of this point in the game, he grew up in foster homes. He joined the Green Beret in his teens. So I'm going to assume when he was 18, 
they don't really go into a lot of detail about that. I don't think the army really lets you in before that. And then after being a Green Beret, he goes to join the elite government unit Foxhound led by the legendary soldier Big Boss. And that's all you know at the time. Yeah, obviously. Big Boss takes on takes on a bit of a mentor role, trains him personally, and uh, sends him into uh, this, you know, slightly important mission. It's kind of a big deal. So, obviously, so Gray Fox gets captured, uh, assumably gets captured. I mean, he his, his last transmission said Metal Gear. So now you know that the stakes have been upped because when they sent him in originally, I don't think they knew necessarily... <laughs> what was going on in there and then your best soldier fails but says metal gear which everyone knows is a bad bad thing sends him in must be important the podcast is named after it yes it's kind of a big deal i think i think the words appear in every game of all time but so let's talk about it so that so the first mission operation intrude n312 that's where they sent in gray fox they send him in and he gets captured so something's going on there so then when they send in Solid Snake, it's Operation Intrude N313. <laughs> so apparently the army just, I don't know, puts them all in numerical order. I guess yeah, it's any a... <laughs> Anytime they need to intrude something, they just call it Operation Intrude N something. So this is the presumably the 313th time they've had that... to intrude something. <laughs> that makes sense to me. So we're going into Operation Intrude N313. So they send in Rookie Operative Solid Snake. He's briefed by Big Boss, and after being handed a classified document detailing Gray Fox's infiltration route, he's ordered, Solid Snake that is, to perform a follow-up mission, and his mission is to rescue Fox and find out the truth behind Metal Gear. Now, I guess at the time, well, they should have known what Metal Gear was at the time, right? Now that I think, but I was going to think maybe this was the first time Metal Gear makes an appearance, but we know that not to be true. Uh, because of the later games, Metal Gear has appeared as early as the Shagohad in Metal Gear Solid 3. Is this the first appearance of the term Metal Gear, though? Like, is this the first Metal Gear that's called Metal Gear? Uh, I don't think so. In Metal Gear Solid 5, didn't they... Wasn't it actually called... Well... Well, it was Shell, shell of Hamphorpus. Yes, <laughs> Cephalanthropus. Was it, was it actually Metal Gear Cephalanthropus, or was it just Cephalanthropus? That's what I can't remember, is if they mm. ever actually used the words Metal Gear. Like, like it could have been referred to that to the player, but I don't remember if anybody actually spoke the words Metal Gear before this. Yeah, see, I would say I don't think so. I think this is the first time that the bipedal tank that is a nuclear, a walking nuclear arsenal is first referred to as Metal Gear. I could be wrong on that, though. We might have to, we have to look into that. We're, we're showing, we're showing our breadth of knowledge early here. Yeah. <laughs> well, our, you know, how much, how much of experts we are. Well, in our defense, there's not a lot of information when it comes to Metal Gear 1, an MSX mm -hmm two computer game an nes game that really didn't think that far ahead when it came to the story <laughs> so it's it's a it's a it's a weird balancing act to say well here's what i know about the future and here's what i know about this game and how not to you know get too far ahead because that's actually quite difficult i find as i want to talk about things oh is, i'm with you like, is that i don't like, want to spoil too much talking about solid snake like you said is going to be very difficult but we're going to leave it within the confines of metal gear yeah i actually was gonna go into this whole diatribe and i was like well no i have to stop because if i keep talking people get very confused <laughs> because there's a whole lot going on with solid snake so just to recap we know that there is something called metal gear and solid snake is sent in 
to investigate what that actually is, what what Gray Fox meant by those words. And to specifically rescue Gray Fox, which is important Correct. because that is a relationship that is built over time. And, and these are people that have known each other a long time, Gray Fox and Solid Snake and Big Boss. These are all important names to remember, so it's very important to know. But yes, he's supposed to rescue Gray Fox and find out the secret of Metal Gear. And this, this iteration of Foxhound, we should point out, is probably the most important because this lays the groundwork for um, the Foxhounds of the future as well as um, all of these characters where they land going forward. Yes, and and this is something that gets it gets gotten into in other games, but if you're a little bit confused, if you know a little bit about Metal Gear and you've always been a little confused, there is a difference between Foxhound and Fox <laughs> and XOF. A lot of stuff going on there, but mm -hmm. Foxhound is the team that is basically the elite U.S. military unit. And what's kind of neat about Foxhound is that it always, in any of its iterations, whether it's Fox or Foxhound, it always involves some sort of essentially super soldiers, unique individuals, right? And so one thing that Metal Gear always does really well is it has very interesting characters and boss fights. So I think it's fair to say, as we go through the game, we're going to be talking about we're going to talk about heroes. We're going to talk about the good guys. We're going to talk about villains. We're going to talk about the bad guys. And then we're going to talk about the in-betweens. Because like I said earlier, there is a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of trickeration. There's a lot of backstabbing and tomfoolery. So we're going to try to sort through it all. But we mostly want to attack it as the story as a whole, but go a little bit more in-depth with the individual characters of the story. So... With that being said, I want to talk a little bit about the heroes of this story. So what do we know for sure right now? We've got Gray Fox, we've got Solid Snake, and we've got Big Boss. Three very, uh, I guess, pillars of the, you know, Foxhound unit and military in general. These, uh, especially Big Boss, who's a who's a well-renowned, um, historically revered, is revered the correct word? Does that mean liked or is that feared? I don't know. Greg Halper. Revered. <laughs> uh, yes. And so, you know, what's also, I think, interesting about this is I wonder who were the other members of Foxhound at this point? Yeah, I guess we never. Um, I don't know. That's if we why know I was that. saying like, like this, this iteration of Foxhound is very important because like I said, like this is, I don't know in, in the universe of the games, if this is like the genesis of Foxhound, but in terms of the narrative of the games, like like you said, Foxhound, it stays with the game, or it stays with the events of the game moving forward. We have other Foxhound units, um, but this one is kind of the genesis of all of that. So it's, I'm I'm wondering if Foxhound was always this, you know, uh, important unit, or if this was like where it first started gaining notoriety was the you know the outer heaven incident yeah that's a really good question and there's because a lot of a lot of the holes get filled in in different areas whether it's like the document of metal gear solid or or in, in like supplemental is where a lot of the story comes from these supplemental sources and so i, I yeah i'm very curious about that i i want to say because big boss was brought back to the u.s military after a uh, uh, quite a stint away from it 
and was brought back to lead this group of special forces. Big Boss founded Foxhound in 1971, uh, carrying on the traditions of his previous unit, which was Fox. And um, it, they were organized into an official unit within the U.S. Army. And there's no real information in here of anything significant until the Outer Heaven incident in 95. So they were around since 71 under Big Boss's uh, command, but it doesn't appear that they actually did anything of note, at least to the events of uh, Metal Gear, until 1995. One of the themes of a Metal Gear game is that war isn't always as black and white as good guys versus bad guys. And we'll get into that, I think, a little bit as we get to the end of this game, the story about the end of this game, because there's so much to talk about when it comes to who who is doing something good, who is doing something bad. And so we talked a little bit about Solid Snake. Um, Gray Fox, at this point, is, is quite the mystery. All you really know of him is that he is the best soldier in Foxhound, which Foxhound in itself is an elite special forces unit. So this is the number one guy in the most elite special forces unit in the entire world. And he, and he gets caught. <laughs> so you've got your, your best soldier of all time gets captured. And that goes to show, you know, the fortified nature of outer heaven is, you know, the most elite soldier in the world gets captured. Well, and this might be a good, a good time too, as well to talk about outer heaven itself. So outer heaven is an armed mercenary stronghold located in South Africa. So outer heaven was the idea of an army with no nation. I think is the idea, right? So this was a place for soldiers and mercenaries to gather that maybe didn't have a country or didn't have anywhere to go and didn't have anything to fight for. And so then they fight for each other. And so when you think about the way I just described that, you think, well, that doesn't sound that bad. Actually, it sounds like it's kind of nice. Like it's a boys club to hang out. And then you start talking about, well, to secure their defenses, they got a bipedal nuclear tank so that no one would mess with them. Okay. Well, now we're starting to get into a little more nasty stuff. Um, but it's located, as I said in the, in the intro, it's located 200 kilometers north of Galsberg. It was established, Outer Heaven itself was established by Big Boss in the late 1980s as a place for all these people to go. Um, now, this is, I find this very interesting and connected also to the story. Architectural engineer Kyle Schneider was forced to participate in the design of the fortress. Kyle Schneider appears as a member of the resistance, which is important to know because while solid snake is alone in this mission, he has help from the quote unquote resistance. And so outer heaven in itself doesn't sound like a bad idea, but oftentimes what do they say, Josh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> so that is a good way to put it. I, it's I, very apt in this situation as well. I feel it happens often in metal gear where, and it happens through, it's a theme throughout the entire series that what was meant to happen isn't always how it, finishes and so even though outer heaven was meant to be a safe haven for soldiers it ends up turning into its own rogue military group so they send in solid snake josh they send him in and uh let's be honest solid snake's kicking some ass you know i mean you're the player you're controlling the the man of the hour and the other thing to point out is solid snake is basically uh set up for failure and this is a, a running theme throughout the games but all of the he sent in with nothing um, to you know, keep things as stealthy as possible. So he's going up against armed guards, uh, attack dogs, uh, various pieces of military equipment, 
and he has nothing. He, he has no weapons. You he has a radio, and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> yep, and it's a pretty big radio. So, I, <laughs> did you ever notice and that? Like, it, it's got to be pretty loud too. So I don't, I don't understand how he's sneaking around. And it's like, <laughs> but it's big boss. <laughs> or like he's on the radio, and all of a sudden it just starts going. Or he's walking. He's behind a bush. He's about to choke somebody out, and all of a sudden you just hear, breep 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 breep. Mm. Like, oh, sh- sh- come on, shut up, man. Damn. Yeah, jeez. But, you know, <laughs> suspension of disbelief, I guess. Well, maybe he has an earpiece, too. I don't know. Maybe you he's know got what? it on vibrate. Stop, stop using your logic. <laughs> he infiltrates, like you said, against all odds, this mission should be an utter failure. He procures all equipment on site. Um, some of the first items you get, you get rations, so you can heal. Uh, but you get rations, he finds rations, he finds his handgun, which, in a stealth game, isn't very useful. You eventually find a silencer, and then you start finding more weapons, mines, remote-controlled rockets, plastic explosives, stuff like that. And throughout the course of the game, and this is what I want to get into, throughout the course of the game, you start running into the mercenaries that have been populating Outer Heaven. So yes, in the game sense, they're the bosses of the game, but in the story sense, these these are characters, these are people that were brought together by, you know, by this mercenary group. They were brought together like-minded individuals who are here to fight and essentially protect what you know their way of life. Right now, first, we're going to talk about the villains. So first up, we have on our list, I don't even know if these go in order technically in which you, I think it goes in the order here of how you run into them in the game. Yeah, how you encounter them. Thank you. So I believe Shotmaker is number one. See the number one mercenary? Also known as as Shoot Gunner, which I prefer. (laughs) Shot Gunner, Shoot Gunner, and Shotmaker. His passport has a lot of AKAs on it. That's one more thing that we should point out just as we kind of step out um, looking in. The localization of this game has changed multiple times. And um, so we are going to refer to them in their final uh, canon forms. So this is Shotmaker. Yes. So why don't, you, why don't you go through Shotmaker's bio a little bit? Let's get a little bit of background on our boy here. So Shotmaker, a former member of Spetsnaz, which if you're unaware is the special forces of the Russian GRU. Uh, and he later became a mercenary and joined Outer Heaven, much like all the others. And he is the warden of the prison, and he takes pride in the fact that nobody <laughs> has escaped the prison before. No um, one. Something, nobody has ever escaped this prison under his guard. Is, is, as, is, that, but, a mom, is that a moment of pride for, for, you know, for wardens of a prison uh, that no one's ever escaped? I mean, isn't that just kind of your job? Well, what else does he have, man? I mean, <laughs> but yes. it's like it's like it's like being a, like a like a barista, and you're just like nobody has ever had cold coffee uh, because we don't serve it. Well, never. I'm so proud of the fact I've never served a cold cup of coffee. Everyone that comes exactly. out piping hot. 
All right. Yep. They're like, hey, I want my coffee. I'm like, here you go. It's coffee. You di- I did it. <laughs> I like it. I've never. Yes. So that is that is uh, Shopmaker's claim to fame. Snake infiltrates Outer Heaven to, of course, find Gray Fox. And Snake has to basically get himself captured in order to... Um, I believe at this point he is trying to uh, get into the cell that he believes Gray Fox is in. I, I'm pretty sure as well, because basically it's so fortified there's no way in except by being captured. So Snake gets captured, gets thrown in a cell, and is able to punch a hole in the wall. And so obviously very fortified. <laughs> you just punch the walls open. <laughs> and I guess, you know, whatever. So so the two prisoners are together as long as they don't get out because, you know, they won't because Shotmaker's there. Um, but uh, so it was Gray Fox who... Uh, you know, talks to Snake about Metal Gear, all of that, blah, blah, blah. So they have to escape the, the, the prison cell now, obviously. And so Fox basically gives Snake his next goal, which is to go find uh, Dr. Madnar. Right, which which that, that's kind of the key story point here is that Gray Fox kind of reveals to you what's going on. So he's like, hey, there's this guy, Dr. Madnar. He built this bipedal tank, nuclear walking machine known as Metal Gear, we have to find him because he didn't want to make it. He'll tell us how to blow it up. And then we blow up Metal Gear. We get out. And that's it. So that's the plan. Uh, so Snake gets out of the cell. I guess he leaves Gray Fox there. Or basically just it's just like, you'll figure it out, buddy. See you later. Yeah, I'm very confused as to what Gray Fox is doing the rest of the game. <laughs> I, I would doubt that he stayed there in the cell. Right. But after that, I think he I does... Mean, offer on the radio i believe he does pop on the radio every now and then and like tell you things i think okay I well know. he's i mean he's uh he's 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 able he can i guess get out now that you know snake gave him the push i guess he may probably just leaves well sure but you'd think like wouldn't he stick around and help maybe i don't know need... we don't have them we don't have the memory for those <laughs> that many sprites <laughs> so exactly we can have two people on the screen at once it could have been a co-op metal gear game gray fox oh, and true. solid snake adventures it's a fan game in, in the making right now, but so it's whatever. Gray Fox, he's he screws off somewhere. He's gone. Um, but then, of course, as Solid Snake leaves the cell, we come across our boy Shopmaker, um, who attacks him in a very predictable pattern, and <laughs> <laughs> Snake is able to uh, defeat him. Uh, actually, I take that back. We we've got a little bit of a of an aside here. When Snake was captured, they took all of his equipment. Yep. Um, yep. So so Snake first has to kind of run past Shotmaker and avoid his attacks to get his equipment from a nearby unlocked room. Thankfully, they uh, left because... it unlocked and put all of his stuff in one big bag. Yep. You know, <laughs> nobody's ever escaped this prison. Now, uh, now with such stringent policies such as that. But they did have a backup plan, Greg. Don't forget that there was an insurance policy. They put a transmitter in his in his equipment so when he put his bag on he had like a you know a hidden tracking device on him yep but he noticed he just threw it out he just, he just yeah <laughs> which, which is you know to pause on the story side of it real quick we we talk about and we don't want to talk too much outside the universe of the game but what a neat idea that he puts they put a tracking device in your bag which once you get rid of it it's it's gone and you always feel like there should be an item there because the whole screen never fills up with all the items mm. that you collect throughout the game. And so, but what a, what a neat idea that, you know, just one of those unique things, I guess, that Kojima put into the gameplay. 
So after he throws out the transmitter, he's able to, you know, leave with his equipment, go back to Shopmaker. He's got his weapons now, and he just takes him out. And that's that's the end of our boy Shopmaker. Dies right there in outer heaven. And that's it. One, An elite soldier. Now, one theme you'll see through this is that there's soldiers from all around the world. So that was a Russian Spetsnaz. Top, clearly top of the class. Hired to be the warden of the prison here in outer heaven. So outer heaven itself is part of the strength of of this game was that it's the best of the best the best killers and mercenaries from around the world gathered here and solid snake just dispatched one of them easy peasy first yeah first one he comes across he takes him out without a problem and um i wonder if that'll be a uh, sign of things to come yep and and what's also neat about this game is i believe you can run into the bosses in a little bit of a different order sometimes so even when you play this game because the next the next villain we're going to talk about next the next bad guy is the machine gun kid and i absolutely love this character because it's it reminds me of like billy the kid like that's what i think of when i see machine gun kid and i think of the one two three kid oh well (laughs) there you go another another great option but like the idea with the name kid is that it's younger than most of the other operatives but still completely excels at his craft. So for instance, the machine gun kid is a former member of the SAS, which if you don't know, is a special force unit of the British army. So now we've got Russian Spetsnaz and we've got British special forces, uh, rounding out the outer heaven mercenaries at this point. He, which is, and that, that that's, it's actually a good, um, sign of the, the ability of this outer heaven kind of camaraderie, because as you mentioned, it's people from all over the world, but not only that, but it's, it's people from, I mean, I guess at this point in time, it's, you know, Russia and and Britain weren't warring, but they weren't exactly friendly. So it's, you know, it's, it goes to show that outer heaven is a place where even these unfriendly, you know, military, people from each of those were still able to come together and fight together for this common cause. Right. And I think one of the themes of metal gear and the entire saga is that the one thing that brings people together, you know, I shouldn't say brings people together, brings the characters together in this game is war. And there's almost this sort of, there's these two types of people. There's the, the people that don't want a part of it, but it's all they've ever known. That's a common Mm -hmm. theme in the game. And so it's all they've ever known. So it's what they're good at. So it's what they do. And then there's the people that love what they do because they're so good at it. And so that's kind of the two types of, of characters you run into. So the next villain here, Machine Gun Kid, former SAS, Special Forces, British Army. He doesn't have quite as an impactful story sequence as uh, as Shotmaker does. Uh, realistically, he's just guarding one of the buildings. And so he's actually, you can encounter him first, I believe. Uh, maybe even Shotmaker. I think you encounter him before Shotmaker depending on how you play because the good thing about the neat thing about metal gear is you can encounter them at different times but basically it's a pretty easy fight and they he he uh is guarding the corridors of building one he's determined not to let solid snake pass through nobody's and, ever passed through that corridor no, no on one's ever watch. passed through that corridor without machine gun kid and despite his impressive skills with that machine gun snake is able to use the room's large walls and fixtures as cover from his fire and ultimately kills him Probably should have left that corridor a little bit more open in the uh, design phase of Outer Heaven. Well, and the funny thing about the machine gun is, in that game is that it has like a, it it shoots. How do I describe this? It, it, it like when you hold the button down, it starts off at say 
10 o'clock and it swings to two o'clock and back to 10 o'clock. So like it sends waves of bullets, like back and forth, almost like a rope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, easy to dodge bullets when you know the pattern of how they're going to be shot. So, so solid snake, that's two people down. Solid snake has taken out his second mercenary special forces, machine gun kid and moves on. Uh, it, it is also one of the only characters that name wasn't changed in different versions of the game. Kind of a neat little neat little thing that 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 name was was okay. It wasn't any sort of translation faux pas, if you will. So another thing to I guess think of think about here is is the machine gun kid actually young or is that just a nickname he has? We don't know. <laughs> yep, and 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 that's the tough part about starting with this version of Metal Gear is just that there's so little information when you need it. You know, and they yeah. obviously they build up later on. They add things, but we're at a point where there's just not a lot of info here. <laughs> so you're like, here we go. This is what we got. But my um, the reason I bring that up is he is called the Machine Gun Kid, and if he is actually a kid, we've got Solid Snake uh, murdering an innocent prison prison warden and child. So <laughs> innocent prison warden. Hmm. Yes, all he was trying to do was you know he was stuck. Make in that sure nobody basement. escaped. Yes. Just doing his job. If I had to guess, I would say kid. I, see, I wish they did go into a little more detail about their age or how old they were and things. But I would say he's probably 18 to 20. So maybe around the same same age as Solid Snake about that time. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, I'm, I'm, oh. I'm obviously making a joke. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because murdering kids is funny. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> I wouldn't put it. Pe- We've got a lot of that coming up. Let's wait till we get to these other games. There's so much more. There's actually... A, a tiny, teeny spoiler in Metal Gear Two: Solid Snake. So the second game, there's actually kids in Zanzibar Land. So we'll have to talk about that when we get there. But that's not today. Mm-hmm. We're not going that far today. Yeah, again, just just to give a little taste of the future, we got a lot of child soldiers coming up in this in this game, or in this franchise, I should say. So after we we mow down a Russian Gru, we take down British SAS. An adolescent one. An adolescent British SAS. But but the most best machine gunner the world's ever seen. Earning just if we could, machine gun kid. If I could if I could derail the show one more time just for this, you know, age discretion. Uh obviously couldn't have been a child because he joined these uh SAS, so kind of ruins my theory. There you go. Just a nickname. <laughs> just a nickname. <laughs> so now we're moving on, right? So the next person you encounter the next villain, if you will, quite simply named Fire Trooper. Let's just let's just uh, go over his past a little bit. He was a member of the German counterterrorism unit GSG nine. Uh, I'm not familiar the, with that. Neither am I, and I was actually the reason I paused there for a second was I was trying to find some information on what GSG nine is, and it is a, it is an actual unit. Um, it is. Uh, Gretzschutz Gruppe 9. <laughs> Translated as Border Guards Group 9. So yep. an anti-terrorism group, counter-terrorism unit. And it was uh, formed to combat the Palestinian terrorist movement Black September uh, after they infiltrated the Summer Olympic Games in Munich, West Germany in 1972. So you get a little bit of an actual history lesson here as we just go over uh, Fire Trooper's origins. So he was a member of 
that team before again leaving to uh, become a mercenary unit or to join the mercenary unit uh, in Outer Heaven. So his weapon of choice, of course, is a flamethrower. You might have gathered from his name. <laughs> um, a little on the he nose. Tra- <laughs> he trained himself. I, so, you know, I'm catching a theme here. Machine gun kid, fire trooper. They're, you know, they're shot, not subtle. Shot maker. Although he doesn't really make any shots. He shoots the shots. But That's true. Derailing and us out, again here. Outer Heaven is not, you know, not mastered in subtlety. But you know what? Their talents speak for themselves. Exactly. I so, like that. So he, of course, wears a flame retardant suit, as you would need to with that kind of profession, I guess, that kind of that kind talent. Of, when you're packing that kind of hardware. There you go. That kind of heat, literally. <laughs> so he, he has a, um, a very distinct look because he's wearing this kind of flame suit. He carries a flamethrower, tanks on his back, spreading fire around. Um, trained himself to handle it as effortlessly as a rifle, which means that this guy... He's, you know, he's got control of, of this fire. So he go, he's in charge of guarding the basement elevator that leads to the rooftop. And uh, nobody's ever gotten to that elevator under his watch. <laughs> no one's ever gotten past that elevator. So, uh, again, um, and this was, this was uh, one of, so just full disclosure, I have not personally played Metal Gear, but this is one of those boss fights where i watched uh it, it be played and uh solid snake apparently all he had to do was just kind of stand right next to him yeah you know it's it's not a wide spreading weapon <laughs> so you get you get behind him oh boy yeah i guess that's the thing about flames it's it's not real great for course or uh close quarter combat because you know if you get the guy right next to you on fire chances are that's going to spread you even if even if you're wearing that suit you know that that's gonna it's gonna come back to bite you, but it turns out that it actually was his suit that led to his downfall because while his suit protected him against flames, it was uh, not very adept at protecting him against bullets. Mm. Um, so uh, Solid Snake was able to dispatch of him relatively easy. Yeah, and and that's a theme throughout these games are, are these kind of unique bosses, you know, and and they all have a sort of they all have a shtick, if you will, you know, and, and yeah, we've that's... got, we've got gimmick, gimmick, uh, gimmick based soldiers, you know, each one has their own gimmick. Exactly. And so while that translates to a game as boss fights, it would make sense. I think in a military base, you would have specialists. And so all those regular people that you're killing are most likely also shot makers and, uh, you know, <laughs> shot makers, machine gun kids, and fire troopers, except not as good. So they're not and the, they're not the shot maker, they're shot makers team, because they're essentially team leaders, is is a way to look at it. Yeah, and that's a that's the good way to think of it is if you're going to assemble this elite group, you know, in this heavily fortified, you know, base, you're going to want to get the best of the best in charge. So you're not going to just want like this guy over here who, yeah, he's a really good soldier. Whereas you've got fire trooper, you know, he stands out. He's, he's got a specialty. He, you know, obviously this guy is, you know, he's got the aptitude to become this crazy uh, flame wielding super soldier 
obviously he's going to be good in in charge of this area of my base. So I think that's a theme that carries forward is you've always got these. Yeah, they're, they've got interesting characteristics and interesting kind of shticks, but they obviously have a skill set that lends to that that we can use as part of our squad. Exactly. And and you don't need two people proficient with flamethrowers. You got one. Of course not. You yeah. know, so it's not like he's the only one. He's just the one they got. They don't need another and one. we're cutting costs because now we don't need a team of flamethrowers. We got the best one. Exactly. Why why spend the same amount of money on three medium ones when you get the best one? Is that how that works? That, yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> okay. how it works. So moving on. It's called resource allocation and, and yeah. Outer Heaven had it to a T. So whoever the leader of Outer Heaven was really knew their military stuff. Really knew how to work and, that whole thing. And Greg, as we go through this story, I'm excited to find out who that is. Hopefully we do. <laughs> Even though I think I spoiled it earlier already. But moving on. Don't hit that rewind button, folks. Moving on. The next villain we're talking about, Dirty Duck. Now, this this is the first enemy we've run into that doesn't directly apply to the weapon in use because he's not throwing rubber duckies at you. Unless that's what he calls his gun. Well, he doesn't use a gun. Oh, he uses boomerangs. So Dirty Duck is throwing boomerangs. Now, I don't know if ducks are known for throwing boomerangs or if boomerangs are called ducks in some other country. But well, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting point. <laughs> Because, like, you'd think he'd be like Captain Kangaroo. To Captain Kangaroo throw kangaroos? No, but it's like a, you know, it's Australian. <laughs> Boomerang's Australian. At least we're following a theme there. So Dirty Duck. So I got to tell you, this one, this is the first boss we've run into who isn't as shallow as the other ones. If, if I'm just being blunt. You know, like, this is, a, this is an old video game, okay? You don't expect a lot of depth to these characters. Dirty Duck, however, was a leader of an extremist terrorist group known as Eggplant. Now, that name is ridiculous, okay? You're not going to hear any argument from me, but they were a terrorist group known as Eggplant, which he was the leader of. Not only now, that... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Just just on the Eggplant note, um, if we go into... Uh, if we put ourselves in the universe, and there's an extremist terrorist group, and they're calling themselves Eggplant, do you think that is a strategy as a misdirection because you're not going to take them seriously. And then they're going <laughs> to, well, I mean, I don't take them seriously. So I see your point. That's my head cannon. So <laughs> I like it, <laughs> but here's the other thing that made this boss fight impressive during the fight. Not only is he throwing boomerangs at you, he's actually using three POWs as human shields. So he's got three and, and, Again, to step out of the story a little bit and talk about the gameplay, as you rescue soldiers, as Solid Snake is rescuing soldiers in Outer Heaven, he's gaining a higher rank. So at that point in the game, you realize that three of these people being rescued is a big deal. And he's using them as a human shield, so you can't go in there all willy-nilly guns a-blazing. And can I point out the... I mean, especially at this at this time, you know, this climate of when this game was made, like, that's a... That's a very real, like, story decision. Because obviously, I mean, Dirty Duck, he was the leader of an extremist terrorist group. So he he does not have, like, the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, the, like, in war, there's, like, rules of war, right? He, would, so you've got he these... wouldn't have a code, necessarily. Like, he wouldn't have, like, a soldier's code of exactly. not hurting innocents or anything like that. 
Right. So like all of the others, like they're military men, they're aware of war crimes and they probably have some kind of, you know, they skew their behavior towards that. Whereas because he was the leader of a terrorist organization, he, he has no regard for these rules of uh, combat and, you know, any kind of war crime. He doesn't care. So he's just going to be taking these POWs and, using them as human shields yeah i told i totally agree with that and just the fact that like and maybe that's where the name dirty duck comes from he's he's fighting dirty basically right mm-hmm. so it's, it's like a literal he's a he's a dirty fighter not just because like right before you get to him you have to trudge through like the mucky deep water which would make him a dirty duck as well but just the idea that he's fighting dirty as well so i i, I like that and this this is one of the first bosses you run into that seems to have just a little bit more depth than some of the other ones. Like you said, he's a leader of a terrorist group, so him having hostages makes total sense. You know, a soldier, an ex-Grew, an ex-British Special Forces, he might be trying to protect what's his, but he's not going to put innocent people at risk to do it. Right, and that is a very well-thought-out gameplay decision that gives us this insight into the story, which is one of those things that I'm sure we'll be pointing out in the future with a lot of these characters. And, and this is one of the characters that did have a name change, originally named Coward Duck in the original version. So that's a little interesting, too, maybe a little play on Howard the Duck. But Coward Duck changed to Dirty Duck, which I guess Coward actually fits, too, but it makes him seem weak when... That's the thing, yeah. yeah. Like, Coward works because he's, you know, obviously using human shields, but also that doesn't play well into his backstory of a leader of a terrorist organization. But, I mean, they're cowards, right? I mean, arguably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, you dispose of Dirty Duck, and there's only one boss left before the final boss. For whoever this mystery leader of, of Outer Heaven is, you've got one boss left. And this boss, or bosses, might be the most ridiculous of the group. So- that's why, like, we've been going back and forth, but I'm letting you take this one. You want me to take this one? Okay. So the official name of this boss now is Bloody Brad. But I want to talk first about the original name of this boss, which was originally named Arnold. Okay? Earlier we had mentioned, or if you watched episode zero, where we kind of talked about the series of the game, we talked about Kojima and his love of cinema. Well, Arnold is a reference to Terminator <laughs> because the bloody Brad is the code name of the TX 11 model cyberoid developed by Dr. Madnar. So not only did they capture Dr. Madnar and force him to make a bipedal nuclear tank, they forced him to make, well, I don't know what a cyberoid is, but a cyber Android. I don't, that, that, that kind of, uh, that, that, that terminology is weird to me, but that's uh, my, my guess is we're to these are androids. These are, you know, these are cyborg, yes. well, uh, robots. So, but here's the tough part: a cyborg uh, is like a human with robot parts. That's that's a good point. So and, these are androids. So these are androids essentially. These are not people, but it's an interesting that, boss fight all the same. And I did want to point out: uh, we're not going too much into the future of the series here, but this is a very important. Like these these Arnold units, if you if you want to call them that, or the Bloody Brads. A thing to keep in mind as we move forward is that these are cybernetic uh, beings that are humanoid and 
the thing to keep in mind is Dr. Petrovic Madnar created these units. And as we move forward, we might see more, you know, uh, cybernetic enhancements and things of that nature. And obviously these units, um, as we'll, we'll find out as, as Greg goes more into what happens to the bloody brats, they're not very good. <laughs> they're, they're defeated. So it's, it's one of those, uh, star Wars types of things where the clone troopers or not the, the not the clone troopers, the robots in the, like the, the, the battle the droid army. Yep. Yes. They're like Jedi just go through them so easily that they eventually one up that by, you know, the clone army. And then, um, the, uh, stormtroopers later. Like, I feel that this, this was like a prototype almost of what could be done with like technology creating soldiers Absolutely. and moving forward. Absolutely. Moving forward, we're going to see more. So this this character, while it seems kind of ridiculous with you know the whole Terminator, you know, reference there and and um, just being called Bloody Brad is a little strange. But I think there's more importance to this character than it would initially seem. Yeah, it's as, as if they were laying the groundwork for future ideas, you know. And and you're definitely right. And there's a theme and part of the universe of Metal Gear that I love so much is the believable technology angle. Everything that exists in, in metal gear is something that you could believe if it's not already in existence. It's something you could believe could maybe happen with technology. Um, they throw in a little bit of supernatural as we'll get into with a few other things, but for the most part, it's all technology based and some of it's very believable. Some of it is like you could, you could think in 20 or 30 years that would be possible. But the thing to keep in mind is remember this Dr. Madnar and remember his cybernetic technology because we might see that later on. It's going to be so important. Like, it's going to be so much fun when we go to the next, the future games and then we're able to make references back to the old games. Right. I feel that's, like, that's why. Yeah. I'm, I'm planting that seed. I'm planting that seed. Yeah, because Just wait for it to grow, folks. Because right now. We're, we're stumbling through the lack of a story in the first game because we can't make any of the connections that we really want to make. Right. You know, so, because we don't want to, we, we want to reveal things as it's revealed to the player, but sometimes to go more in depth, you have to go beyond that. And so we have to, we have to be careful in what we say, because do we want to talk to you about who the villains are in other games because it relates to this, or do we wait till we get to that game and then refer back to this game? So. Yeah, so it's it's going to be a little bit spoilery because we're going to, you know, obviously give more importance to things that might not seem important right now. Um, but we're going to try to keep things uh, as pure as possible. Yeah, absolutely. So so the Bloody Brad fight is, is one of the more interesting fights in the game because you actually don't have the tools to defeat them. Uh, and you aren't able to get the tools to defeat them. Not through normal means. And so you... This is the first time when you have to rely on external help. So we're going to get into, after we talk about this, and we're going to get into the hero side of things too. But this is where we're really introduced to, and we need to rely on, the resistance. Now the resistance, as it's just very simply called, is an irregular military organization, which is not part of a regular army organization. Pretty basic stuff. Typically... And I know people who are listening to this are going, you don't have to tell me what a resistance is. You've seen movies, you've seen it all in there. But this was basically a small, uh, this was a small resistance group 
that was just trying to stop the activities of outer heaven in that area. So, yeah, I don't think we have much detail of what that actually is. Um, but a good way to think of it is um, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to find like something to compare this to. Um, sure. Well, well, one thing, cause there actually is a little bit of information about this in, in, in the heroes that help snakes. So the outer heaven resistance specifically was the resistant movements based in South Africa during the time of metal gear one. Uh, they were occupied by the emerging, uh, the emerging mercenary state of outer heaven. And the resistance was led by Kyle Schneider. So Kyle Schneider is kind of the first name we hear that isn't part of the U.S. government, but isn't a bad guy in the Metal Gear universe. So Kyle Schneider joined the resistance after his family was killed by the mercenaries in Outer Heaven, doing, I guess, whatever they were doing out there. I don't really know what they were doing that would have killed innocent people out there, unless it was like they were driving a tank through a village path and then squish some people by accident and and perhaps there was i mean maybe there was some pillaging going on by you know some of the underlings who knows like it's just outer heaven they're they're not they're not doing good right and and obviously they have people employed like dirty duck so while maybe machine gun kid wasn't pillaging local villages it wouldn't surprise me if dirty duck was and, uh, and we've seen things like that like in the um in the vietnam war to to bring it into reality here where like there were some some u.s soldiers that weren't that were stationed there and you know weren't doing great things um and uh, not to make a political statement i'm just bringing it into a historical context so it, it's it's possible that just having this strong military force around isn't leading to great uh you know extracurricular activity Right. And certainly not by everyone. And you make, and actually I'm glad you mentioned what you did about, about, about tying it into actual history. Part of the brilliance of the Metal Gear story is that it's constantly tied into actual historical events. So mm -hmm. it's really easy to suspend any disbelief when you know that it's connected to something that did happen. It just, to me, it adds a layer of believability when you attach it to something that's real and then you, get to, and you get to make it more believable. And the thing about, the way we have to uh, approach things is we need to we need to put them in the historical context at least to the ones uh, especially that are directly involved with the events of the games um, because in our mindset they are one and the same right so the events of the games have actually happened as have the quote unquote real historical events that have happened that kind of feed these stories yeah like they happened exactly like they happened together you know like they're yep. they are connected um and so as we're talking about the resistance there there's really four four people as part of the resistance um the reason i have to talk about one of them really quickly is that's how you're able to finish off the uh bloody brad tx11 cyberoid is that you reach out to the resistance jennifer specifically and then she leaves you the rocket launcher that you need to take down this boss and so this is kind of the first interaction you've had with the resistance that was required. You sometimes could chat with them at other points. These are all the support characters, basically. And so you're able to defeat Bloody Brad. You're able to move on. And at this point of the game, you've pretty much wiped out all of the mercenaries and villains in your way. The only really thing left to do is rescue Dr. Madnar, who was take, uh, rescue Dr. Madnar, and then destroy Metal Gear. 
So one thing I do just to take a step back to Bloody Brad, the one thing that that fight teaches us is no matter how indestructible you build something, an RPG, it's going to take care of business. <laughs> That's a pretty safe bet, I think. But yes, yeah, so we need to take down Metal Gear, Greg. And where does that lead us? Basically, Dr. Madnar is the one who told us how to defeat the Bloody Brad. Since he's, you know, since he's the one who, well, built them. So if anyone's going to know a weakness, and I believe that he actually built a weakness into them, uh, is, is, is how the story would, would play out. But basically, he's he's sabotaging a little bit. At this and that's point. a that is a running theme moving forward is there are a lot of these brilliant minds that are brought in and forced under duress to cooperate with certain, you know, external forces. And there is a lot of, well, we need a ripcord here. We need a failsafe to, you know, take down this indestructible weapon. And this is a, this is a great, you know, peak that the bloody Brad is just a great peak into Madnar's ability to do that uh, because it'll be very, important moving forward here and part and part of the supporting cast of course like everybody in the world dr madnar is ready to help you but he needs help too and so you find out that his daughter is being held captive as well so they've got everybody they had their insurance they had their insurance policy with madnar how do you make him do something he doesn't want to do well he kidnapped his daughter and and imprisoned her as well tortured her and, and basically made it so that he had to do what they asked he had to build metal gear for them he had to build the bloody brads. And this was the way they kept him in line. So he tells snake snake, you rescue my daughter and I will tell you how to finish off metal gear. Because I think Madnar knew that snake as a soldier at this time, a young soldier knew what his mission was and would have stuck very close to it. His mission was not rescue Dr. Madnar and it was not rescue Dr. Madnar's daughter. It was rescue gray Fox and just, and to find out and then destroy metal gear. Now, obviously, Snake's smart enough to know, well, I need Dr. Madnar to tell me how to destroy Metal Gear. But if he had not told, but if Madnar had told him how and then said, please rescue my daughter, I believe Solid Snake would not have rescued his daughter. Yeah, I, it's a real human moment from Madnar right there. Yep. As, as like, like you said, it's a it's not necessarily a selfish moment, but like like you said, like. For all he knows, Snake just wants to find out about metal gear, steal it and take it for the U S army or something, you know, like for, for all he knows, snakes, not there to rescue hostages. Snakes there to deal with this weapon, destroy the facility and leave and leave them all there to die. Who knows? Well, and to be fair, even if solid snake would have rescued his daughter, you'd expect that Madnar wouldn't expect that. Like he would, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. He, he would not have thought that. Yeah. He would have, uh, he would have moved on and, and said, okay, like I can't trust him to do what's right i have to make him do what's right and that's okay because that's a player who doesn't want to you know rescue someone you know I mean, it's a part of the game but it's also you know there's nothing wrong with that want to do the right thing so south state yeah. turns out being a pretty good guy you know throughout these yeah, games it's, it's not like right it's thing. not like madnar's like extorting him by any means it, it's right. more of just it's again it's just like a like you said it's like a i help you if you help me real quick because i need your help and so you you go on to rescue Ellen, and you go on the show, Ellen. Uh, you rescue Ellen for Dr. Mandar. She apparently is the one who informs you, though, that her father was forced to develop Metal Gear against his will. So that's kind of building into this, he, he was forced to. I guess at that point you didn't know that, even though that's kind of the idea you always got from it. was like, why would he be telling you 
how to how to stop these monsters how would he tell you how to beat things if he didn't secretly not want to do it you know i think it's kind of implied but hearing it from an like a third party source i kind of like that too because that just shows that she is aware of it's not like a she thinks her father is this monster like she knows too like he's just doing this because he's forced to so it brings in that familial aspect of it i feel yeah no absolutely um so after and again this remember that you can do parts of this games in different orders so essentially after rescuing dr mandar's daughter he tells you how how you have to blow up metal gear you have to put plastic explosives on its feet in a very specific order. So you have to blow up, put one on the left foot, two on the right foot, two on the left foot, one on the right foot, and back and forth until you've used, I believe, 16 plastic explosives, which is pretty in-depth. But that's actually a way to destroy Metal Gear. That's He's the guy who built it. He knows. He built it in. So this actually is around the time you find out, because around this time is also when you when the fight with Dirty Duck happens. You, you, you obviously defeat him. You rescue one of the POWs. One of the POWs actually ends up being one of the Resistant members' brother. Now, when I had mentioned that Jennifer from the Resistance is the one who gives you the rocket launcher, it was her brother who was one of the hostages from Dirty Duck. So you stop him, and the, and it's, it's Jennifer's brother who gives you the information you need to escape the fortress. But as we know, we're not quite done yet. We haven't blown up Metal Gear yet. We haven't found out the mysterious boss of Outer Heaven. We're just, you know, we're, we're, at, the, we're at the end. You know, we're, we're finally getting there. And then we have to, let's see. So I'm trying to think after, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in Snake's shoes at this point. He, he's got everything left, right? He knows where to go. He knows what he has to do. And he's rescued essentially everybody who matters. And so before we get to the ending of Metal Gear, the game, I want to pause and I want to take a little bit of a look. The heroes. These were basically the the support characters, I guess. Right, Josh, you would say the support characters. They're they're accessible on the radio. You can reach out for hints and tips. And so while they're not part of the U.S. military, they're part of the resistance in Africa trying to stop Outer Heaven. And it's it's one of those um, like gameplay mechanics that kind of seeps into the story because the characters are there to provide you the player support, but also on the story side of things, these are characters that snake is developing a relationship with. They have a common goal. So they're providing snake with additional Intel and support in order to take down uh, outer heaven. Yeah. And there's a couple of weird encounters here, which are actually echoed, I think in later metal gear games and some of the codec conversations that they have. But the four members of the Resistance who you interact with in this game are Kyle Schneider, Diane, no last name, Jennifer, no last name, and Steve, no last name. So Kyle Schneider is, is the one, he, uh, what do I want to say? He He's probably the most... Significant? Significant, um, as in he's got, you know, we know that his family was killed, and that's why he joined the Resistance. So then we usually a good usually a good hint that somebody's important is when they have a last name and nobody else does. <laughs> that, that is very fair. The only one with the last name. Uh, so then uh, Diane was the other one we were talking about. Diane was formerly a vocalist in the positive punk band Thin Wall. 
She later used her feminine charm for intelligence activities in Outer Heaven, accumulating knowledge on the mercenaries and armaments within the fortress state. So she's a punk singer, man. We got a punk rock singer. And she's I'm South very, African. I'm very upset that we never got like a thin wall Easter egg somewhere later. Oh, sure, like a poster or something hanging up. Yeah. Sure. Or just like, you know, um, a song on a radio somewhere. That would have been incredible. Yeah, and, and so what's interesting about Diane was she actually was someone who, if you called her at specific times on the codec, she would give you weaknesses of all of the Outer Heaven mercenaries. She would give you the hints on how to beat them. And so it's it's such an interesting gameplay mechanic, but also fits into a story narrative. Like this person's expertise was knowing the soldiers and the mercenaries. Yeah, so she, she was an intel. Yep. Yeah, she was the master of intel. And of course, the only one she couldn't do were the bloody Brad Cyberoids because they weren't real people because <laughs> they were androids. That's it. Yeah, geez, that's a that is a very good. Again, another one of those in-universe uh, little pieces of detail that fits really well. Yeah, and so then Diane, uh, along with the other character, Steve, again, no last name provided, Steve is actually Diane's older brother. So we've actually got a family here. And Steve is an interesting character because I think he sees the type of person Snake is just through these codec calls. Because after a while, Steve says, listen... Stop talking to my sister. <laughs> now, what's the only reason in a game that a brother would tell someone to stop talking to their sister? I think it's because Snake is such a charmer. He's he's a smooth criminal. So we've got Solid Snake hitting on Diane, who, I mean, who wouldn't be? She's a punk singer, you know, S uses her feminine charm. So that's an insinuation that she's attractive. Mm -hmm. An attractive punk singer. Of course, Solid Snake's going to be all over that. Steve's having none of this. Big Brother Steve. So we know he's a he's a protector type. <laughs> so Steve, so we learned two things from this character. One, he's very protective brother. And two, Snake is a ladies' man. So we, we're learning these. There's seeds planted that we're discovering long before they're told everything to us in the later games. And it's funny because when there's certain scenarios that instead of just having it, because a lot of times when you make a codec call to somebody, if they're not there then you just don't get an answer. Diana is the only one who, when you call and she's not there, you get an answer and you get an answer from Steve. <laughs> Steve is the one who says, listen, man, <laughs> you're really starting to piss me off. Stop calling here. Stop calling this number. Yeah. Who <laughs> new phone? Who dis? Oh, yeah. solid snake again. Uh, so, so yeah. So very, very interesting. Such a, such a throwaway character. Let's be honest, you know, not a whole lot going on here, but he, they were still able to connect two of the no-name characters to kind of bring some life to it, you know? And I think that's a theme that, while very lightly done here, later on in the Metal Gear saga, as we get through all of it, you're going to see all these cool connections and that, that thought of connecting characters, which it kind of reminds me of Star Wars in a way, you know, where everyone in those universe, almost to a fault, is connected in some way, in such a way where we'd be like, you know, if we would just kill off this one lineage, there'd be no problems in the universe sort of situation. Mm -hmm. but it, it's such a to me it's so interesting to have all these connections and to have this character know this character and, and it, it just to me it builds a world that's more believable and so i like i like the diane and steve connection um now the last mercenary we're going to talk about is jennifer jennifer is the one who actually helped you get the rocket launcher 
And so she's one of the more useful ones. Uh, later on, I want to say later on, she gives you something else too, either ammo or something else. Uh, I think she ends up having to, yeah, because you save in, yeah, here's it. I'm sorry. So Jennifer provides internal support to Snake, giving the rocket launcher, and then she unlocked a room for Snake containing the compass, which is what you need to get through the desert. Okay. And so she did that. In return for that, it says Snake managed to save her brother. I feel like he was going to probably do that anyway, <laughs> but since he had to, <laughs> since he, unless he just mowed down a bunch of civilians to get to dirty duck, but that's not solid snakes game. He's not going to play that way. Yeah. But I, I think it's just another one of those, like she's just looking out for her brother and like, you know, save him, please. And then snakes like, all right, I'll do that. I mean, it was advantageous to me anyway, but f just for you, I'll do it. Jennifer. Right. Just because you're such a sweetie. Uh, mm -hmm. And then actually, I was wrong. I'm sorry. We still had the the more uh, important one we we had touched upon early on, but of course, Kyle Schneider. So those are the four mercenaries that help you. Now, one of the sad things about the mercenaries is that at the at the end of this game, which we're about to get to, at the end of this game, NATO of all places bombs Outer Heaven. Mm -hmm. That means that all these resistance fighters most likely were killed in that in that siege which is really so you never you never hear much else about a lot of these characters and like even you know in the wikis and stuff will say like jennifer's not noted as deceased none of these characters are noted as deceased which they do for all the bosses because they know where they died but i have to think that they probably since they never appeared anywhere else that unfortunately they were one of the casualties of the conflict most likely, yes. I didn't hear any uh, Thin Wall albums being released afterwards. No, no, no Thin Wall released after 1995. Now, I'm going to let you kind of handle this a little bit because I've been talking about the mercenaries, but recap where, remind everybody where we were in the story and then take us home because we're getting very close to the end. So at this point, Solid Snake has been sent in to cap, or to, I guess, release Gray Fox and discover what he meant by the term Metal Gear, we found out through various um, trials and tribulations, rescuing various players in the story. Uh, we have discovered that Metal Gear was actually a bipedal uh, walking nu nuclear tank, uh, which Snake, with the help of its creator, Dr. Madnar, was able to discover the weakness and destroy. So on his way, if we take a little step back, though, on his way to... Between uh, releasing Madnar and destroying Metal Gear, uh, Snake starts to discover some oddities, uh, to, to put it lightly. There is a prisoner in Outer Heaven that Snake is able to find and help release who uh, says something that's a little troubling to our uh, Ricky soldier. He says that the boss of Outer Heaven is the commander of Foxhound, Big <gasps> Boss himself. What? I know. It is Wait, very, the, very... The commanding officer that sent you in to Outer Heaven it's... is indeed the leader of Outer Heaven himself? It seems that way. Gasp. But then, Snake starts to put things together, Greg, because th throughout, things have seemed a little strange with our friend Big Boss. He also seemed to be setting Snake up for failure at certain points, like he was leading him into traps... He was kind of feeding him false information about certain things. We had to start. So, uh, we had to start the mission with literally nothing. 
Yeah, so things seem to be coming together here, and the, the seeds have been planted that maybe Big Boss is uh, not who he may uh, may seem to be. So Snake destroys Metal Gear, and this is the TX-55 model, if we want to be specific. And as he, right after he sets the self-destruct system of Outer Heaven, he goes to escape. And what do we find, Greg? None other than Big Boss himself there inside of Outer Heaven. A very pissed off Big Boss. Very pissed off Big Boss. Now, things have changed over 25 years. Who who do we want to say this is? So I think... I think we should go with the flow of the story that we would know if we just played this game. So this is Big Boss. And if you've played all the Metal Gear games, you might hear that and chuckle a little bit to yourself and say, oh, I know who it really is. But for all intents and purposes, we are currently fighting Big Boss. Yeah, let's let's put put it this way to say that Solid Snake encounters his commanding officer as he believes him to be Big Boss. Big Boss basically exclaims that uh, he sent in Solid Snake to retrieve false information, which is why he was kind of setting him up into all of these different kind of traps and, and other things. Is He wanted Solid Snake basically to fail like Gray Fox did, or if he did succeed in his quote-unquote mission, to come out with false information that would uh, not be... Uh, conducive to the u.s knowing what was really going on on outer heaven right because really that's what ended up happening was the existence of outer heaven was not known at this point so once they became aware of it through the resistance fighters and through the conflict the u.s military had to go in and so they look at they say well this is a really delicate operation we have to send our number one guy we the u.s military says we have to send have our number one soldier send in his elite group of of combat veterans well unfortunately for the u.s government they didn't know that their number one guy was also the person leading this secret outer heaven base for mercenaries and so then what 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 does somebody do who's in both positions well they manipulate and so essentially big boss was trying to manipulate the information that came out they had to silence gray fox and then when you have the silence of gray fox well do you really expect your rookie soldier to be able to do any better than your best soldier well probably not and so it's all wrapping around from the original beginning of the story when we're joking around about why would they send in a rookie soldier after sending in their best soldier. There actually was a reason for that, and it was because he was supposed to fail. Yeah, that was the plan, was to to set up this rookie soldier for failure to ensure that Outer Heaven kind of uh, went on business as planned. But also, you, you mentioned... Uh, the kind of the intel about outer heaven i think more importantly was big boss didn't want the knowledge of metal gear to get out yeah that's probably accurate actually uh because the idea of outer heaven like a home for mercenaries probably wasn't as big of a deal as was oh by the way they have a nuke yeah and Um, not just any nuke like the first bipedal walking nuke the first mobile nuke and that's what's substantial about metal gear as as a weapon you know, and you see it's like, okay, so it's like a tank. Well, what's the big deal? Just blow up the tank. Well, the idea is that it's a nuclear-armed tank, and it's a tank that's bipedal, which means it walks on two legs. It can it can get over certain terrain that other vehicles, you know, couldn't. 
And then the fact that you can't just blow up a nuke because then it nuke goes off. <laughs> so it's a yep. very interesting weapon in that regard where it's, it's, it's defense is mutually assured destruction. And so it's, it's interesting in that thought. So you're right. I believe that as well, that, that more importantly was to keep the secret of metal gear from, from anyone knowing that that was their ace in the hole, because that was how they were always, the idea of metal gear being an outer heaven was, was a deterrent. It was to say, look, if anyone comes to mess with us, we're going to tell them we have this. We don't even have to use it. We just have to say we have it and they'll leave us alone. And, and that's essentially what happened, except when the government decided to send in, you know, the Foxhound unit. Yeah. And I think big, big boss, um, this, this is a perfect way to introduce this character of big boss, because ultimately what brings him down is his hubris of thinking that he had the entire situation under control and he created this plan. And as the years go on, we're going to learn more about this plan and all of the different things that came together to get solid snake in outer heaven. And you see that while big boss is a very calculated, you know, well thought out, uh, I guess, plan maker, uh i don't know i couldn't think of another sure, word to use sounds that. good to me plan maker he didn't count on the variability of solid snake actually being as good as he was right which we can't talk much about is kind of surprising to me we'll touch more upon that in later metal gear stories but exactly um there was there was a thought there that no that he is the best he he is that that big boss is the greatest soldier the world's ever known and so there's no one that could take him down and except himself except himself <laughs> maybe <laughs> but you're right and so so that essentially wraps the story of metal gear 1 uh, there's an epic ba an epic boss fight big boss solid snake the the greatest soldier the world's ever known versus a rookie soldier with who, who's still green they fight to the death big boss loses solid snake wins and is able to escape outer heaven mere minutes before nato nukes oh it doesn't nuke but nukes as in bombs it so they bomb the entire outer heaven base and lay waste to uh the whole mercenary camp the the everything so every every soldier there every every part of outer heaven incinerated through a nato missile strike and that brings us to the the end of the story of metal gear one so we probably took a lot longer to explain all that than we really had to probably could have explained it about 10 minutes five minutes maybe even but i think josh said it best when he said that we're laying the groundwork for stories yet to come and maybe when this game was made that groundwork wasn't being laid but it was always used as the base I think Hideo Kojima always looked at this game and said, I can build upon that as opposed to starting over and trying to build everything from scratch. He knew he could constantly be building off of this story that he had in his head all those years. And, uh, and so metal gear, that's the story of the original metal gear. So if we want to before, so obviously we're going to, to tackle uh, metal gear two, which is the, the video game immediately following this one uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, the in-game universe. But if we just want to go over some implications of, you know, what the Outer Heaven incident, what that brought upon, 
did, did you want to yeah, cover yeah. any of that, like the in-between? Sure, like the ramifications and, and kind of the, the state it left the world in after the end. Right. Absolutely. So just going on, there's not too much. I, I think that this is just setting a precedent for like future um, things that we cover. Um, I There wasn't too much that happened afterwards in between the two, um, but Big Boss survived their encounter um as we we later find out in the game and vows that he and solid snake will meet again so it's you know classic movie villain not exactly defeated and and setting up for a sequel an inevitable conflict but one thing i am finding about the period in between um the outer heaven uprising and the next event that we'll cover is uh the un uh establishes a treaty to uh, ban certain kinds of nuclear tests. And um, I think that was a real world event, uh, but that has important ramifications for the future, especially considering that, you know, thanks to solid snakes work, NATO discovered that there was nuclear testing being done in outer heaven by mercenaries. So that is going to be, a topic moving forward of these mercenary groups getting a hold of these extremely powerful nuclear weapons and the world is aware of it and taking actions against it, hopefully. Yep. And, and, and essentially that the world, while the world is definitely a safer place tomorrow, it's not going to be a safer place in a week, in a year and a decade down the road. And so yeah. it was, it was almost like kicking the can down the road and realizing what the actual problem was, which wasn't even necessarily the mercenary groups it was what's what's leading what is happening in the world that's leading these mercenaries to want to come together and become a nation or become an army without a nation like what is it about what's wrong in the world what's what is it about war what is it about all this it's this perpetual cycle of war that they can't seem to escape and and, and another th- and another thing we'll potentially see is there's also the escalation issue right so we're, we're talking this is this is the beginning of our story we're in 1995 and we have mercenaries building bipedal walking nuclear weapons so that's just the thought of how is you know the different military organizations of the world how are they going to combat that kind of you know destructive power being in the hands of unsanctified groups moving forward right and 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 as always with with all these games there's a real muddying of the water when it comes to good and bad and it's not as simple as these guys are bad and these guys are good. Sometimes it comes down to the gray area that exists in between. And, and there mm-hmm. is a lot of gray area. <laughs> and this is, and this is a, this is a, again, a perfect place to start because we see that right away. Like we don't know outer heavens intentions. Really. We just know that the U S is telling us they're bad. Right. So us as the player snake, as the soldier is following the orders of, you're the good guy. These guys are the bad guys. Go take them out. Which, which is funny because that's a trope in all games. You know, it's here's, here's the objective, do the objective, and that's how you play the game. Not oftentimes are you meant to stop and think, well, what's, why am I making this decision? And, and what's great is we'll be able to explore all the why in our future episodes. And I hope everyone had a good time. I had a great time, Josh. I don't know about you. This was, as I've, um, as I've told you outside of the podcast, this was, kind of my first time actually diving into the the story in depth 
of uh, Metal Gear 1. And uh, it was actually, I learned a lot. And also I had a lot of fun just uh, exploring all of the different characters and events and, and, you know, getting into the lore of it all. Yeah, so this get, is this is great. It's 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 fun, you know, getting lost just following links, you know, and and just seeing where the wiki takes you, you know. And so I hope everyone else had fun. We had a great time. We'll be back with episode two. We'll be talking about Metal Gear Two Solid Snake, and we will see you all next time. We'll continue this in the next game. Take care. We'll talk to you later.